Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody, to Through Help and Back. Through Help and Back is a a positive psychology and solution-focused podcast focused on mental health issues, focused on addiction treatment. Um, Unlike some of the other podcasts that are focused on that, we're not going to spend a lot of time on the problems today. Uh, What we're most interested in is that you can kind of hear some of the great work that's being done, uh, pick up a couple of interventions and some things that might help you along the way. Um, and leave with a with a positive plan for change. Uh, that's kind of the whole goal of Through Helping Back is we want to hear from people who are helping people who are receiving therapy, uh, hear from people who are going through therapy, reaching out for help themselves, and then leave with a little bit of strength and hope and the idea that, that things can get better because indeed they can. Um, as always, uh, Through Helping Back is fully sponsored by A New Behavioral Health. Um, if you live in Ohio or New Hampshire, you're probably aware of a new behavioral health. A new behavioral health is an outpatient provider of substance abuse and mental health treatment. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we have psychiatrists. It means that we have therapists. We have nurses. We have case managers. We have a whole team of professionals who are sort of standing by, uh, ready to help people who who just want to receive help on an outpatient basis. Um, sometimes people think about getting help or going to treatment. And they, they worry, right? Like, I've got to pack up. I've got to leave my family. I've got to be gone, you know, for 30, 60, 90 days. Uh, that's, that's not what Anu is about. Uh, you know, you can, you can live your life. You can work from home. Uh, you can live, be with your family. You can rebuild your life. We don't want you to lose anything that's working. We just want to add to the positivity in your life. So if you or, or somebody you love is, is interested in receiving that kind of help, you want to reach out. It's uh, anewbh.com. Um, or you can always, um, you know, reach out to them via email, help now um, at anewbh.com, and uh, they'll be with you. Uh, one of the things that's been really great about Anew is they are quick. Uh, you reach out for help. There's not a, a week later a call back. You're going to hear back same day. If you don't hear back that day, you're definitely going to hear the day after. Um, and like I said, you've got a team of professionals standing by, willing to put an individualized plan in place for you so that you can get the help that you need. So um, as always, um, you know, producer Ian is here with me today. We've had a couple, uh, couple of breaks here that you guys don't know about. We've had Thanksgiving. We've had, you know, some holiday stuff and some travels. So Ian, how are you doing, my friend? Doing great, man. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Are you, are you stuffed still? Or are you, are you recovered? Get, getting stuffed was difficult since I'm vegan, so no turkey for me. No turkey for producer Ian. What does a what does a vegan Thanksgiving even look like? You just like eat out the stuffing, or what? Do, what do you do? I had this all I the had stuff the we throw away. You I like had the salad. It's the lamest thing, but <laughs> I got to do it. What uh? What what is the? And, and that's great. That's admirable. We should all be Thank making you. better dietary choices. But what uh? What what what's the vegan thing about? What led you to that that lifestyle and that choice? It started with uh, just like selfish reasons to be completely transparent. Like I just wanted to take care of myself more. Um, and I knew like th- this would definitely work. This would definitely help me live a longer, happier life, I suppose. Yeah. Help me, you know, have more focus, mental focus. Um, and then over time, I started learning more about the ethical parts of it. And yeah, I just, it makes sense for me. I've been able to keep it up. And uh, That's great. That's great. Vegan Thanksgiving, it's like a good like alt-rock band name or something. You know, it's sort of a little bit of a conundrum there, but yeah. No, that's good, man. Congrats on that. So I, I definitely didn't go vegan, so I had the I, I rode the trip to fan roller coaster, got a good nap in, and and life is good. So all right, so let's transition in. So like I said, we try to have folks who are receiving help or folks who are offering help on as our guests. Today we have a wonderful therapist who is somebody who is offering help. Uh, this is somebody who has offered help in, in multiple states. 
Um, you know, and, and basically we're going to start by figuring out where she is. This is our, our world traveler with the new. So one of our therapists here, Brittany Eliason is her name. Welcome, Brittany. How are you today? Hello. I am wonderful. Happy, happy Sunday. How are you, Jason? Happy Sunday. That's right. You gave away our big secret. People think this is like a job and we're like up here on the weekend. Oh, happy, grinding. happy Monday. Oh, happy Monday. <laughs> No, I'm I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. Where, uh, how are you, and where are you today? So I, I joke about Brittany being a world traveler, but she does bounce around. So where where are you today? Yeah. So today I'm in Florida. I'm staying with my sister for a little bit, and then January I will be in Ohio. Okay. All right. Can you can you run us through? So I mean, even since. Well, even before you're a therapist, I mean, you've been working in the helping professions, but you've kind of, you've kind of bounced. We've got like some Pennsylvania, we've got some Ohio, we've got some, I believe Oklahoma. We, I mean, where, where have you been? Kind of walk us through your, your travels. Okay. So I'm originally from Erie, Pennsylvania. So I grew up there. And then after college, I moved to Ohio, um, started like my professional career in Ohio. And then I decided to fly the nest officially and like officially move away from home. Um, and I went to Georgia for a year and then I was in Oklahoma this summer and then now I'm in Florida. <laughs> nice. That's nice. That's nice. And, and is Florida a permanent stop or is it a pit stop? Are we still moving? Um, it was a pit stop. So it was going to be a permanent spot, but I realized I need a little bit more, you know, resources than I have here. So go home for a little bit in Ohio and yeah, see what, see where life takes me there. <laughs> no, it's a, it's amazing. And I think it's a, it's obviously as partners and a new and, and teammates, you know, we're really interested in, in your travels, but um, personally, and for the purposes of this podcast, I'm interested because this was all kind of during COVID, this was all kind of like early in your career, right? So new technology, therapy with folks from all over the place, but not necessarily in the same room as you. So how has that been kind of finding your way, you know, with those transitions, using technology? Like what does new therapy feel like and look like for the therapist, you know? So at first I thought it was, a. I mean, it, it still is a brilliant idea. Telehealth is great. Um, is it for everybody? No, I'm very grateful that I can do telehealth um, because it gives me the opportunity to connect to individuals who, you know, can't seem to make it in, can't find a ride, can't, you know, do this, can't do that. But with all of my travels, I can kind of see everybody wherever. And like, that's just like mind blowing to me. Like, it's just like, wow, like that's my life. Like that was my life for a while. Cause I was traveling so much, but then I will have a little stability at home in Ohio. So I'll be, uh, you know, sitting still for a little bit, but it's, it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm interested to see the Brittany sitting still experiment and see how that, how, me too, actually. <laughs> how that plays out. <laughs> it's a social experiment. That's right. It's her own little oh, social this, experiment. I know. I'm, I'm a little sad that I might not have many, uh, um, stories and experiences to tell you guys. Cause you guys are always asking like, what's, where have you been? What's going on? I'm going to be like, well, I went to Walmart today. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I like, I like a good Walmart is, you know, and if you get really lucky and get a super Walmart, then you're really set. So they're not even open 24 hours anymore. <laughs> they took so advantage of that COVID stuff and then just like pulled back. Everybody's talking about Walmart. Emily, um, our last guest was also like flexing her Walmart's 
<laughs> local Walmart is just showing it off. <laughs> Listen, man, middle middle America, the flyover states, uh, Walmart is, I think Emily called it like the cultural center of, but it, it is, it is kind of like a, it is kind of a thing. And uh, especially for smaller towns too. Yes. Yes. Because if you go back to our, our, um, our podcast on rural America, right? The number one thing that we're focused on is resources and like it or not, demonize it or not, make fun of it or not. Walmart, Target, you know, the, the big box stores, they provide a lot of resources that those communities wouldn't have otherwise. So, um, plus they're fun, you know, I mean, who doesn't want to like get groceries and motor oil and a blanket and, <laughs> and, and your, and your pharmaceuticals all and in the same place. All in one trip. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So have you, have you actually kind of digging in and I know working in human services, I know you've worked kind of a variety of roles, but specific to your role as a therapist, have you had a chance to do much in person? Has it been a mix or has it mostly been technology based? With a new, it's all been technology. Um, when I was at my previous employer, it was inpatient. So I saw clients face to face, excuse me, face to face um, before COVID, during COVID, because it was inpatient. So I saw them. But while I've been working with a new, I've only ever seen one patient or one client in person. And that was because I was visiting um, Southern Ohio and I happened to run into her and we had a, we had a really good session. It was really great. Cause like I had never, you know, seen her in person or anything. And like, she was one that I had a really good rapport with. So it was like really good. But other than that, I've never, it's all been telly. Yeah, no, and I think energy-wise, it's interesting because you can kind of feed off your client and vice versa in person. It's not better or worse, but it is different um, when you're there in person. And you've kind of been on two extreme opposites of the spectrum. So you think about residential care, you know, that's where they're living, right? So your face-to-face contact is pretty intense and extreme and consistent, right? And then total technology-based over here. Do you um, do you want to compare and contrast those a little bit? I mean, maybe from a, a preference base or just maybe even from like pros and cons of each? Do you Can you kind of like play them off of each other a little bit? Yeah, I was actually just thinking about this the other day. Um, when I was working inpatient, I had just a caseload. So like six to 10 patients, like 10 being the max. And, you know, you work really, really closely with them, but it was strictly like it was a drug and alcohol inpatient. So it was strictly, we got to get you sober. Yes. We can talk about your traumas if you want, excuse me, but we're not going to dive in. You know what I mean? Because we got to get you sober first. That's the first goal with what I'm doing with a new it's we're going to hit that trauma and we're going to eventually get to that stuff. And when I was working in inpatient, we, we, we touched on that stuff, but it wasn't as in depth. So Comparing the two, individual therapy, what I'm doing with a new can be a little bit more intense than what I was experiencing in inpatient. Um, I can't say I like one or the other because there's so many pros and cons to them both. And I appreciate doing them both. So I couldn't give you an answer if you're looking for an answer. Gotcha, gotcha. Those are very, <laughs> those are very nice, long non-answers. So Ian, did you have a follow-up? Yeah, um, you mentioned how you either work on the trauma or getting someone sober, but isn't do people get sober from working on their traumas? Like, it, 
because it's they're not exclusive. At least that's what I'm assuming as a as an amateur <laughs> here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you you can get sober while working on your traumas. It can happen. It's not something that I suggest or I personally as a therapist would want to dive in when a client is a week sober because their emotions are going, they may be going through post-acute withdrawals. Like you don't know what's going on. Um, I won't ever um, tell them like, no, we can't talk about that because I want to be upfront and like full disclosure with them. Like you can talk about anything. And I explain, I explain to them, you know, we may not talk about this stuff because of this, but I tell them if anything's ever bothering you, et cetera, please talk about it. Um, But to answer your question, yes, I do believe someone can get sober while going like healing through their traumas. I suggest let's get them sober first and then kind of um, go from there. If that makes sense. Did I answer the question? (laughs) So you get them sober without having to work on the trauma in the beginning, just in the initial phase. Technically, yes. I'm not saying we can't or we don't have to touch on trauma. Um, But initially, I would like to see the client have stability first in their recovery. Yeah, I think and I, I spent some time, you know, working in that setting as well. I actually think it's it's inadvisable to start digging into the trauma too quickly um, for a couple of reasons. One, just from a so we'll, we'll get all internal knowledge here. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. So to try to take it into a different format, Ian, like if people are working with you and you are hungry, right, you're just starving. Right. And it's made you cranky. And everybody likes to talk about hangry now and stuff like that. But your, your parents or a friend wants to sit down with you and talk about new behaviors or gaining understanding and insight into what you're going on and your stomach's growling and your head's kind of screwed up and your blood sugar's all over the place. Like you're just not going to be in a place to have a productive conversation in that moment because one of your baseline needs has not been met, right? So Maslow's hierarchy of needs says it's like a pyramid. You've got to have a strong foundation before you start working yourself up to insight and enlightenment, which is at the top of the pyramid, right? So being physically separated from your drug of choice is one of the primary benefits of of rehab because you're not getting that poison in. You're not disrupting your mood state. You're not resetting yourself all the time. And so then if you start introducing trauma work or processing around abuse and things like that into that volatile system before you have that good foundation, uh, you know, listen, you know, one of the things that you don't cause much of anything, but you're about you're likely to cause a relapse more than you are to cause a breakthrough. If you start getting in there on day three and go, Hey, you're still working the remnants of this fentanyl out of your system. But I really want to talk about how dad used to hit you all the time. And now your emotions are through the roof. Right. And as an addict, what's the easiest way to change how you feel? Go use, right. I've got no other coping skills in place. I've got no foundation. So, uh, it's an interesting concept in therapy of, of pacing, you don't want to go too far too fast or timing in terms of when to introduce some of this work. So you could um, do more harm than good. That's it. That's right. Yeah. Those are the two things. I think I just mistaked full recovery for just physically being separated from the substance or the behavior. Yeah. So that's, that's what happened there. <laughs> well, no, but it's not a mistake, right? So we, we, I think we wrestle with that as practitioners, right? So I would kind of pose that back to Brittany. If somebody never uses again, but they are not dealing with their traumas. Have they recovered? What's your opinion on that? I guess it depends on what 
they're going through, what their behaviors are. You know, if it's distinct, like they're really struggling and it's because of X, Y, and Z, then no. But if for some reason you're having a great life and you've never went to therapy, then by all means, I am so happy for you. But that's not usually the case. <laughs> right, right, right. It's right. And so that's also when it opens the door to process addictions and, and you know, basically addiction can change forms. And yeah, I haven't touched a drug in 20 years, but you know, uh, I'm getting into fights. My relationships are, are crap. I have a gambling problem and I'm addicted to sex, but I'm recovered because I didn't touch heroin ever. But I'm great because I have not used heroin in 20 years. That's exactly right. So uh, you're right, Ian, to draw that line between sort of like initial and full recovery. Um, I think the goal is always to push that next level, but the initial goal is let's get you stopped and let's get you healthy, right? Let's get you hydrated and eating well and sleeping well. And yeah, so that, that's interesting. So um, yeah, so back to kind of the original thought there. So I know, Brittany, one of your kind of primary focuses is on facilitating change, right? And that's kind of what you're all about is, you know, I want to foster change, different ways of creating change and things like that. So whether it be from, you know, a telehealth perspective or even just sort of a new therapist perspective? Cause I mean, how, how long have you been a official therapist? Official therapist? Officially. Yeah. Like working as a therapist, right? So like not case management, not like therapeutic, but actually as a therapist. Uh, six years. Okay. All right. So we're not counting in weeks. That's good. So <laughs> in six we're years, not is counting, what? counting in weeks. I thought you were going to count in weeks. Like, you know, uh, no, so. that's, that's six years, six years as a therapist. So a good foundation, but still relatively new, still learning and developing. So what is your, what is some of your common approaches to change or how, what is your opinion on, you know, how therapists play a role in facilitating change for and with their clients based on your experiences? So I like to be super upfront with my clients. I let them know you can talk to me about anything. I'm obviously like, I'm not, I, I, I want them to be in the most comfortable state that they can be when they're having a conversation with me. Cause I let them know, like, I understand I'm a stranger. I understand that I just met you five minutes ago and you're telling me about your dad who abused you. Um, and I make sure to let them know, like, I appreciate you for, sh- for sharing those things with me. And I also let them know, like, they're not alone and having them identify that they don't have to go through these changes alone. First things first is to get them to identify that a change needs to be occurred. Um, And that's, I guess, I like to, I don't know what, how you would uh, call this approach, but I, I guess evidence-based, like show me what kind of evidence, like why, why do you need to be in this relationship or why is this relationship so good? Like, please tell me why, or like, please tell me why you may need to end this relationship. And I kind of get them to maybe understand, because I can't tell them like, Hey, you really shouldn't be with Brian. I, I can't, ethically tell them that like I have to get them to understand that they should not be with Brian because of X, Y, and Z. And because it's coming out of their mouth, they kind of understand. So that's kind of the approach that I take and understand and like help them understand. They don't have to go, excuse me, through any of this alone, whether it's they utilize their, whether they utilize their therapist, whether they utilize their case manager, anyone from a new, um, their sponsor, their friends, their family, anyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting because with that question of why, it's uh, I don't know if it's on intentional, but you're kind of going down a narrative therapy path in terms of like what stories are you telling yourself about yourself, about your situation, and then why drives right to that heart of meaning, right? So what does it mean to you to be with Brian? Like why? Well, okay, I know X, Y, and Z, but I feel safe or I don't want to be alone or, you know, it obviously doesn't happen just like that, but it's like you're driving to the, you're peeling back those layers and getting to that true meaning of those decisions, whether they're good or bad, you know, what do they mean to you? So, and the more I, I find that the more you talk about it, the more that it becomes normal, so to speak, or there's a word I'm trying to look for. I can't easier. I don't know. It becomes easier for them to talk about, or it becomes more real for them because we can touch base on it this session. We can touch base on it the next session. And then all of a sudden we're taking a whole session to talk about Brian and how you shouldn't be with him. Yeah. Right. And they're leading, right? So there's that concept of leading from a step behind, right? It's the hand on the back of the bicycle. You can't steer because they're going to crash. Right. And even if they change because you said to, that's not going to last. Right. Because you're hopefully going to leave their life at some point. Um, and it's, so uh, it's going to be their motivations and their reasons that are going to continue that change over time. Um, what about from your perspective? I mean, I know, you know, it, it, when we get into this, I don't know, I hear this a lot though. You, you get kind of representations in the media of what a therapist is going to be like, right. And I always joke about the goodwill hunting thing. You know, you think it's going to be like goodwill hunting, right. Where you're going to, you're going to meet for six sessions and say it's not your fault and the guy's going to cry and the whole world's going to change, you know, and it feels really good. But I'm curious as to, to your experiences, because while you're facilitating that change, it's tough on the clients, but there's also challenges that a therapist has to go through in maintaining those cases and keeping them on track. So tell us a little bit about, from your perspective, you know, what what's what's good about being a therapist? Like what's fun about being a therapist, but like, what's also a challenge? Like what's difficult about being a therapist? Cause there's both sides, you know? Um, what do you want to hear first? <laughs> <laughs> whatever comes to mind, whatever you think is important to talk about first, right? Okay. We can do good first. The so good things about being a therapist. So <clears throat> for me personally, I cannot imagine doing anything else in my life. And I, and I don't say that to be funny or I don't say that lately. Like I cannot, besides being a ghost hunter, obviously you know this, right. We'll get into that. I I can't imagine doing anything else full time. So the, the fact that I am actually a therapist and I am in my quote unquote dream job, like I am doing what I had wanted to do since I was in college So the ability to say that I'm a therapist and that was my dream job is a pro. Um, The ability to help individuals because I'm very empathetic. I'm a people which can also obviously be a weakness, but I have the ability to guide individuals into change and seeing the solutions and seeing their worth. Like that's, that's especially my favorite because I just love when I see the glow up from the client or that light bulb come on for the client, or I see them learning to love themselves again, you know? Um, so like the, um, the loving themselves thing is one of my favorite things to see in a client as well. Like that change, like seeing that change and remembering what a client 
was like or what they were going through from our very first session to even a month down the road and seeing that change. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I've also, I've often thought, I, I know you're about to switch gears. I want to hold you there for a second. Um, uh, one passing thought I have, I've often thought that taping somebody's first session would be so valuable to be able to show it to them later, you know, and I, and in terms of where this idea came from was in terms of, um, residential addiction treatment. I think everybody should have their assessments taped. You know, when you come in and your head's down and you've gotten your butt kicked and you're struggling and you're finally there, even 30 days later to sit down and watch that video and say like, this is who you were just 30 days, you know, and, and you always hit that point in residential care where they're thinking about leaving before they should be leaving, you know, should to be able to sit them down and say, Hey, you can go, but I just want you to like, look at yourself today and look at the day before the day when you got here and let me know if things aren't working or not. That's one thing about it. And the other thing is you made the comment about, I can't imagine doing anything else. Like this is my dream job. And you cited some examples, but I want to throw your, 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 your narrative therapy question back at you in terms of why, like, why can you not imagine doing anything else? Like, what is it about finding ways to help people love themselves? What is it about that specific change that really speaks to your heart? Like, why is that your forever passion? So when I, when I went into college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was doing the, like, I'm going to do psychology, you know, cause everyone does psychology and then I was influenced to change it to social work. Um, but was it more of a personal or was it more of a professional? Um, it was a personal choice um, because of the personal experiences that I went through uh, because my dad is a recovering alcoholic. He will have, well, he has, oh my God, he has, oh, he's going to be so mad at me. He has, he got sober in 2006. Um, <laughs> excuse me. And he's been sober ever since he works a program. Um, he works a program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and if it wasn't for him and, and his decisions and him getting his life together, I wouldn't know what social work was. I wouldn't know what dr- the, the drug and alcohol field was. I wouldn't know what the 12 steps were. I personally don't work a 12 step program, but I am very knowledgeable on it because I was that little girl running around in those meetings when I was younger. I, um, I worked at the place where my dad got sober. I was able to gain insight on what helps my dad stay alive and stay sober today. And I had that opportunity to spread that message to other addicts and alcoholics, other child of alcoholics and addicts to let them know that like, they're not alone. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a heartwarming thing to be able to touch other people's lives. And I was so heavily influenced with this as well in a positive way. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not positive every day along the way, but ultimately positive. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, we're, we're here. (laughs) No, and I, I have this theory that I think in a lot of ways people become the adult they wish they had in their life when they were growing up, you know? And I, I wonder if we're not seeing that in real time here with, with you, you know? Um, I mean, are there elements to your approach? Are there elements to your thoughts about change and how you approach this that it's like, man, I really wish I'd had that? Yeah, you know, now that you say that, I think we just, you know, we just gotta, yeah, that's right. I I treat my clients and I treat others, you know, cause it's, I'm, I'm not just, you know, nice to my clients and it's everybody. Um, <laughs> I endorse like that. I treat, You're very nice. 
I treat people the way that I obviously would want to be treated or I wanted to be treated in a certain situation or what I would have wanted to hear if I was going through X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. And when it resonates with your clients in a way that would have resonated with you at 12 years old, I'm guessing the age in the, in the, in the AA meeting, taking notes, trying to save dad, when it resonates with them, the way it would have resonated with you, that's. You remember. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Of course. Do you want to share that story a little bit? I mean, I told a little bit of it, but that's, that always stuck with me for a reason. Yeah. So, um, so I was 12 when my dad got sober. Um, I believe I was already 13. Um, it was in the summertime and he had called me up. I lived about an hour away from where he, um, went to treatment from. He called me up and he was like, Hey, do you want to go to a meeting with me? And I wanted to do anything and everything with my dad, especially now that he was sober. And like, I wanted all the time and attention. So I was like, uh, yeah. And I started asking about the meeting cause I didn't know what it was. And then I, uh, I said, should I bring a notebook and a pen to take notes? And my dad was like, yeah, sure. Just, you know, going along with it. <laughs> well, when I got there, I didn't, I didn't need a notebook. <laughs> I didn't need to take notes. Um, but it was, uh, it was a meeting called the marble meeting in Erie PA. And that just, that meeting, that message, cause they gave out marbles and it's just, that will always have a special place in the back of my mind, that experience and that first time with him at something that helps save his life. No, and 12 step, it's a beautiful story. It's a sad story, but ultimately like a very like uplifting story, you know, to think, you know what we, here we are 16 years later for him. Right. And, you know, still going strong. And now you're spreading that to other daughters. You're the person telling them what to put in the notebook, you know, whereas you were the one like, I need something to put in my notebook. And it's like, okay, I, I got you. Like, let me go to college and then I'll come back and I'll be the person who can give that information. Just like I was the person who wished I could receive that information. So it is beautiful. Um, and, and 12 step takes a lot of hits, you know, I, I, everybody has kind of mixed feelings on it, right? Like it, it's not treatment, but it is helpful, but it's therapeutic, but it's not therapy, blah, 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 blah. And I don't really care about all that. I know that there's a lot of people that are sober today because of those meetings, right? And so the rest of it is sort of semantics, right? And there's a lot of families. Like, it's an interesting family memory, right? It's not we went to the amusement park or it's not it's we went to a meeting, right? <laughs> yep. We went to the meeting and I had a cup of coffee and I ate cookies while my dad sat there. You know, like, it's just... Yeah, like that. And I wouldn't change it for the world. Right, right. Well, you're getting your dad back. Yeah, which is what's more important than that. I mean, Kings Island's fun, but, you know, I mean, you're getting your dad back. So I think that wins. So Exactly. And I wanted to do anything and everything with him. Yeah. So there's those passion moments. There's that I'm 12 years old again. There's that, okay, this really resonates with me. That, that tuning fork goes off and like, yes, full circle. But there's that other side of the equation too, that despite that, intensely personal and intensely passionate feeling about this and that experience, there are the difficult moments. There are the, the tough things that come with being that facilitator for change. So in, in your six years in that role, what are some of the more difficult things that you've run into or what are the, the challenges that you face on a most often kind of most regular basis? Obviously the number one thing is death. And I haven't in a while experienced, or at least that I know of, like a client or a patient passing away. But I remember the very first 
time and where I was and who it was when I lost my very first client when I first started six, seven years ago. Um, so I would say like, um, just knowing that some of my clients may never make it because I do work with the drug and alcohol. Um, I still work with the drug and alcohol um, population. Um, clients who, it, it, it's hard when you can see, you know, that opportunity in them or like it's in there, but it's just, you know, it's at that moment where you have to tell yourself you can't make people change if they don't want to change. And it's just like, okay, I have to sit back and remind myself that I am only responsible for planting the seed and they are responsible for making it grow. So it's hard to sit back and it, it's, it's sometimes difficult to sit back and watch knowing that this individual has full potential, but they don't see it yet. That's a, that brings to mind a really old and really bad joke about how many therapists does it take to change a light bulb, right? It doesn't matter if the light bulb doesn't want to change. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's so bad. I had to warn you, but no, that's true. So so death and coping with that and the finality of that, right? Like everything at that point is too late, right? It's it's over. And um and like more recently now because I've been doing a lot of individual therapy, um is the heaviness of the stuff that my clients talk about. It's that, that big V word burnout, you know, it's, that's also something that is, I've been recognizing a little bit more is, I don't know if tolerance is the right word, but my tolerance for sessions, does that make sense? Is that the word that I want to use? No, I hear you. I hear you. So that's another thing. I think that's, I, I, and as always, Brittany, it's amazing that you're willing to share on a personal level like that. I mean, the stories with your dad and then this idea of therapy. I think that every therapist who's listening to this right now is kind of like nodding their head because it's the big taboo out there that you're not supposed to speak ill of the the, the therapeutic process and the, the honor that it is to take part, which is all true, but but damn it, it's hard some days, you know? It is hard. And people who have received therapy thinking about leaving the office and they feel spent or they feel invigorated, you know, that roller coaster of, of emotions, like do that seven more times that day, right? And that's one fifth back of your back. week. <laughs> back to back. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, you know, from a physical standpoint, it's one of the easier things you'll do. You sit there and, and nod your head. And from an emotional standpoint, it's one of the more difficult things you'll ever do, you know. And I think that's why a lot of therapists find uh, kind of tactile kind of hobbies, like working out, building things, f gardening. You have to have something. Like, you have to have your thing. Or, and I even suggest therapy, like therapy have therapists like we need therapists too and you need to see a therapist that sees therapists because like Brene Brown says their bullshit beater is great that's right that's right <laughs> that's right yeah yeah and back to 12 step that's why a sponsor is is so crucial too right because they know the deal and they can kind of see through some of that and I and I'm, I'm a personal love myself I mean I've certainly been through that probably more than once that that compassion fatigue burnout cycle um, something I think it's important to realize with that is that it's not permanent. You don't burn out and then you're done. It's not a candle where it, it, it you know, extinguishes and you, know, you can relight your flame and, and get going again. 
you know. Um, but it is sort of cyclical, and recognizing those signs, I think, is really important. What um, on just a you know on that specific level, what does it feel like? I mean, when you're going through that, and you you know you said like. Uh, you know, uh, another session. I mean, physically, how does that affect you? Mentally, how does that affect you? Like, what is it like to battle with compassion fatigue and burnout? It is, it is one of the difficult things that I have to experience sometimes. I, I'm just going to be upfront and full frontal. Sometimes I work myself up so much, I will get physical symptoms of like anxiety and full frontal therapists have, you know, therapists have their struggles too. Um, but sometimes I, I will make myself physically sick sometimes and I have to remind myself or I have to call somebody up or I have to, you know, do my coping mechanisms and just remind myself why I'm, I'm here, why I'm doing this and the importance of what I'm going to be doing next. Yeah. No, again, connecting with you again. I mean, I've, I've dealt with anxiety in the past. I've shared that, that on this podcast several times and, um, I'm not saying it's because of, but it didn't start till I was in the middle of my career as a therapist, you know, so it's all contributing factors, you know, um, but it is hazardous in that, in that way. When this has happened and I, this is a funny story. I was, uh, I was having a session. It was a Friday and it was my last session. And the client was, I was like sick to my stomach all day. And I just thought I was sick. I thought I I had a little bug. I was just pushing through. And, um, my last client of the day, she's going through her anxiety symptoms and she's literally explaining how I felt all day that day. And I'm like, God, I said, okay, all right. Now I have anxiety. I'm anxious today. Okay. I see you. <laughs> like it just like came full. Fun. I was like, okay. So it's sometimes very beneficial, you know, to have these conversations. Um, and to, to touch on that topic, like I learn and I take away from my clients every single day, like whether it's something off topic of mental health or on topic of mental health, I learn so much from them. Yeah. Yeah. And that becomes useful for other clients. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's an untapped, um, unmet need out there in the world that I kind of called the help the helpers, uh, mentality that needs to be out there. And I think that it's exactly that there's this, there's this assumption that as a therapist, you're the expert and you have all the answers and certainly you're good, right? It'd be like a dietitian eating ice cream. Like you don't do that stuff. Like you don't have that problem, yeah. you know what I mean? but it's like, no, kind of, sometimes it's because we've had those problems that drew us to the field. And if we didn't have them before, we certainly are you know, the old line about if you stare into the abyss long enough, it stares back into you, right? And you're you're facing trauma and abuse and anxiety and depression, and you're literally sitting with that, you know, on a, a daily basis. Um, and so I, I think there's something out there. I mean, I don't know if it's as simple as, you know, employee assistance type programming where, but I mean, I think, you know, in, the, in a perfect world, therapists would have open access to other therapists all the time, you know, uh, sick leave and mental health, you know, maintenance leave would be supported at a federal level. We, we just need that to recharge, you know, I think a hundred percent. So how do you, I, and I know you do this just because of knowing you, but like, how do you, how do you maintain, how do you stay professional? How do you keep providing good care 
you know, while you're struggling yourself? I mean, what does that look like even in terms of like my two o'clock session was insanely stressful and I've got a 305 waiting to walk through the door. You know what I mean? Like how, what are the survival skills? What are the, the things you go through and the, the tips and techniques that you employ to keep your head above water, above water when you're feeling that? Half the time it's crying. Um, it, it just comes out that way. It just comes out that way. It has nothing to do with, you know, anyone else. It's just, that's, that's how I feel sometimes is it just comes out and sometimes it just needs to come out. Sometimes I need to have a, a conversation. Sometimes I may need to to push the session off 10 minutes to call you or call KC or call someone to verbally get it out of why I'm feeling a certain way. Or if it was from like a session before, um, or I just need to get up and take a walk around the house or something. Cause I, yesterday I, I did this from nine, 10 and 11 didn't move right here. Boom, boom, boom. And I, I can't do that. You can't on a Saturday. Oh wait, not yesterday, Friday. Oh, come on, I was trying to I was trying to hype you up. I was trying to give you a little bit of like extra credit there. You could have just rolled with. Yes, me. on a Saturday at nine in the morning. <laughs> it's not like you haven't done weekend sessions before. If it wasn't this weekend, I know you've done that in the past, which is interesting because uh, now it's invading your downtime, right? Now when you get your batteries recharged, that's less available to you. You know, so I, and I think crying gets a bad rap, man. Crying is just emotional discharge. Right. I mean, you ever been so mad you cried, you know, I mean, it's the same thing. Exactly. And let's have a genuine conversation, you know, like after you get done crying, like you feel amazing. Don't lie to me. Don't tell me that, you know, you're shameful now. Okay. I get it. You're allowed to feel shameful, but like, you know, you feel good. You know, that felt good. Like let's be real here. Yes. You have to download those feelings. You have to download those emotions somehow, some way. Some people yell and get angry. Some people throw stuff. Some people cry. Like there is something to the physical discharging of the emotional states that I think makes a big difference. So we started, we started talking about crying and Ian got real excited. So do you have, you have a crying story? Ooh, crying. <laughs> no, I just I think crying is yeah. There's more to it than you know meets the eye. Um, like even I think last year I was doing this like deep muscle fiber like massage thing where they just like push stuff yeah. like deep into your muscles, which sounds weird, but um, it it made me cry not because I was sad, but because like the pain there that I was like tensing up my body and it was like holding all, all these like physical tension patterns. And I just, I was like laughing and crying at the same time. It was really weird. And, but I felt great afterwards, it's you know, just like it's release, it's emotional discharge. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'll follow up with you. So since you are willing to admit that you cried, I mean, I, I would never, but since you already went out there, uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm too, I'm too blocked for that. Um, as a, as a, as a male, I mean, have you ever felt any stigma around that? Like, you know, boys don't cry or men don't cry and that kind of stuff like that. Or were you just kind of rolling with it and just happy to feel that release? Cause I think it's harder for guys to cry. I really do. I just think it's harder for us to do it because we don't just have to have the emotional release. We don't just have to have the experience. We have to look past the tough guy thing, the stigma and, and push through that to the other side too. So I don't know if you felt any of that or if I'm just, you know, projecting my stuff all over, all over you, but Maybe a little bit when I was um, maybe like 13 to 16. And then as I matured, I started studying and understanding emotions better. And so it wasn't as big of a deal to me anymore. Um, 
I don't I don't feel the need to cry that often. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you might think so. I'm kidding. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. You got your yearly crying already. You just told us, so you're fine. No, no. Maybe in like a therapeutic like environment, kind of like within the context of like personal development, and it, it makes sense. Uh, I'm not ashamed of it. It's it's yeah, it's a rabbit trail. I was taking a step, but it's just interesting because I know that working with clients. The male clients, with the crying is there, it's it's the head down, it's the cover, it's the shame, it's the, I need to step out for a second, and they hide it, you know, whereas female clients in general, you know, no all, no always, no never, but, um, so, you know, female clients, it tends to be more of something they can sit with, you know, and they can experience more fully, so I always found that interesting for folks. Um, I, I know my experience, but Brittany, I'm curious as yours, when you were coming up and learning about what it meant to be a therapist or training to be a therapist, did you encounter much in terms of working with burnout, any preparation for what that was going to feel like? Or did, I mean, was this something you had to learn along the way or did you sort of know this was coming? Um, it's something that was talked about. I just, I never thought it would happen to me type thing. I, I was in a really good place too, like in my life. And then life happens and you don't think that it's going to affect work either, but it does. And I, I didn't think I would be even like saying like, yeah, I'm burnt out. Like that, that's hard to even say because it kind of like my pride is hurting a little bit saying that. Um, But I think it's very important to talk about because it is very relevant. And even though I am young, it still happens to us young. And and then I have that thought of I'm young. Why is this even happening? Like, I'm not even yet. Like, <laughs> what? Right, right. Well, and I think the thing that encouraging or not, since we're having an honest conversation is, um, I think if you continue down this road, I don't think it's the only time you'll ever feel it. I think it's cyclical. I just think we go through seasons. You know, and it just, you know, and I mean, even some, you know, and I think what happens is, I don't know if this is happening for you, so I'll ask, like, you, your first statement was, I love this so much and I wouldn't want to do anything else with, with my life. And then your second statement is, I'm burning out and on a kind of a moment to moment basis and maybe like the last thing I want to do with my time right now. Do you worry that there's like an impact there? Like, I don't love it enough, so I'm feeling the burnout or like I don't have, the, or does it affect how much you love the work to having having gone through the burnout? Like, is there a relationship there or are those two independent things? That is a good question. I don't think it's taking away the love that I have for the work. I just think it's impacting significantly because, you know, I have to ask the question of if I'm not 100% or if I, you know, am experiencing X, Y, and Z, how can I be of service to my clients? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess answer that. Huh? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Like that's better than what I had queued up. So if you're not feeling at a hundred percent and if you are struggling with that, how can you be of service to clients? How can you be of service to yourself in those moments? I can't. That's, that's the thing I can't. And I have had to recognize that for myself on a personal level recently. And going back into the topic of changes, it's I have to make these changes for myself to be the best version for me, but also for my family, friends, my clients, my coworkers, those around me. I can't, I can't fully give everything or any of me if I'm not 100%. And recognizing that is super important. And even saying it out loud and even just saying it out loud now is a little strange to me, but it's real. It's raw. It's the truth. Right. 
Right. And I don't think it would have, I don't think it contributes to your situation in a positive way to deny that truth and to pretend otherwise, right? Like not only now we're back to like the first step of solving a problem is acknowledging there is one and be, you know, that kind of thing. And it sounds like from your, your story here that there's a piece of this that it's like, Hey, doing therapy is really tough, but it also sounds like there's a, a, a significant percentage of this that is like you said, life stuff, right? So it's things that maybe don't have anything to do with therapy at all, but just have to do with your overall well-being that puts you in a place to feel a certain way while you're doing a therapy. Is that is that fair to say? Yes, yes, for sure. And I'm sure a lot of individuals who work in general, but specifically with therapy, like it's it's hard to put that mask on when you're having a fight with your mom or you're having a fight with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whoever, but now you have to talk to uh, Jane at 12 and pretend like everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you hundred percent. And I think it, it, it has a, a reciprocal relationship, right? So if you're having trouble in relationships or just in your personal life, and it doesn't have to be trouble. It can just be like, you're figuring things out or you're not at your best. You're not, you know, you feel like there's some ways to optimize yourself personally. That's going to bleed into the work and then vice versa. If the work is incredibly difficult, it can draw from those resources and make it where you have less to give. Um, you know, I, listen, I'm married. I'm, 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 happily married. I love who I'm married to and it's great. Uh, but speaking in the past, I mean, I think working as a therapist like destroyed one of my relationships in the past and Hey, good thing it did. Right. Cause I'm really happy with how everything turns out. Right. So, uh, you know, God works in mysterious ways, you know, close the door, open a window, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But I, I can distinctly remember coming home from, you know, days of doing therapy and, you know, my girlfriend at the time having the audacity to share her problems or having the the gall to tell me about all the things that she's struggling with. And I'm like, I just talked about this kind of stuff with like nine people today. Why do all the problems of the world have to come to me? You know, I'm just self-pity all over the place. But, you know, there's some truth to that in the sense that if all the interactions you're having are in kind of like this giving, 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 at the end of the day, there's really not much left for you, you know. So, um, so without digging too deep into it or going too personal, I mean, I, I guess what are the things that you're doing, or what are your suggestions for other therapists who may be going through those early stages of burnout? What are some things they can do that are kind of personal give backs, that are personal reinforcements, that help turn this this situ- situation around or get it moving in a more positive direction? Um, I would first say allow it to be real talk about it um and i hope that everyone has a supportive um work environment as i do um utilizing your supports at work especially because a lot of my close friends or a lot of my you know obviously coworkers we we know we know what it's like to be going through stuff like that what was the question i'm sorry i totally like <laughs> lost <laughs> yeah so again going back to the original <laughs> what well, the the sucky part about you asking me is that now i have to try to remember the question so no going this back what to what happens though this is what happens you forget like that yes. this is a perfect yellow brain fog thing going you know attention stuff so no i mean going back to kind of the introduction of the podcast like it threw help and back like it's like okay here's a problem here's a problem here's a problem but we always ultimately want to end up in a place where we can think about what to do about the problem like so where are our solutions where are our opportunities in this problem if we 
we accept the fact that burnout is probably a universal feature of this career. Okay, whether you deny it or accept it, whether you feel it so acutely that you can't work or you just feel it a little bit where you're like, mm, I'm grumpy today. But you know what I mean? Like it's going to affect you in some form or fashion. So if it's an absolute to this career, I guess I was just wanting to kind of engage you in a conversation about, so what can you do? When you start to feel that stuff, what are things you can do to fill your tank that may have nothing to do with what you're doing in session, right? I'm just thinking more about those personal investments. If this has a lot to do with, if I'm not great outside of session, it's going to be hard for me to be great inside session, you know? So what are some things you can do or what are some things you are doing to kind of get that pattern turned around in a more positive direction? Like, what are you doing to invest in yourself? And what would you have other therapists do to invest in themselves so that they're more ready to meet those challenges? Okay. There you go. So first, like I was saying before, making it real, talking about it and recognizing for me personally, I had to recognize what I wasn't doing that was helping me before, which was basically everything. I kind of just stopped routine. Routine works for me. I haven't been in a routine in over a year, um, hence all the traveling, um, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, but recognizing what used to work and kind of bringing it back into your everyday life. So for me personally, you know, working out really, really helped me. Have I started working out again? No, but it is, you know, on the list, you know, things time. Um, but just doing those things that, that helped me and utilizing the support and identifying that burnout is real because I didn't think it was real. I thought, you know, it just happened to the 50 year olds and I'm not even 30 and I'm already saying I'm burnt out. But that's okay. For the first time. Yeah. It's your reality and you'll you'll learn this time. So I wanna I wanna give you a little intervention. You can you can use this. So um something you talked about, I really love what you just said about itemizing what hasn't worked or is no longer working, along with like what is working. So two things. I think it's really important to shrink change, right? And so if you if you have all these challenges and you're saying, Okay, I've identified all these things that help and I'm gonna do all of them. Like you're kind of guaranteeing this is not going to work right? because, you know, or if you're identifying like, Hey, I've realized what hasn't worked for me and I'm going to stop all of them right now. Like, no, you're not right. You're exactly. You're, you're setting yourself up. Um, like I was saying earlier that all or nothing thinking like, okay, I know that I was healthy and happy and just living my best life when I was working out, taking my vitamins, waking up at seven, making breakfast. I can't do that all tomorrow. Like, cause in my head also, I'm going to start Monday. So Monday morning comes along. I'm going to do all that. The first day I'm going to get burned out. <laughs> yes. Yes. Or you're going to, or you'll do nine out of 10 things and call it a failure and stop all of them. Exactly. Right. Cause 90% is an F in personal change world. You know, we don't grade ourselves very fairly. Um, so I think it's important. I mean, something you can do with your clients or yourself is honestly just to make a list of, you know, the six things that don't help me you know, that I'm doing, right? Six things that would help me if I did them. And then just do one a month, right? So I call it kind of a give and take method, right? So working out seems to be the big thing, right? You Maybe you need to change your diet. Maybe you need to change your sleep. Maybe you need to stop X, Y, and Z. Ignore all of that, right? This month, you're going to add something good. You're just going to add your workouts. And if they happen at seven at night, who cares, right? That's fine. 30 days, Yay, success. I did one thing different, right? And that's going to contribute to your life in a positive way. So you gave yourself something. Now it's time to take something away. The next month, take something off that bad list and stop doing it. Just one thing, 
right? End of two months, you now have two positive things that have happened. You have one, one additive, one that you've taken away. Month three, time to give yourself something, right? So maybe you're going to add whatever, yoga. You're going to add, but I don't know. But you've got your list, right? And then so what you do is if you just do one at a time, at the end of the year, you've got 12 new habits, right? And you're so far away from where you started. But you've also gotten 12 opportunities to celebrate your success, yeah, I added the workout. I'm going to ignore the nine things that I still need to do because it's not that month, right? And then the next month you get to celebrate that you stopped eating ice cream every day or whatever the hell, you know, whatever, you know, or stopped working on the weekends because that's invading my downtime. You know, I'm not going to do weekend sessions. So, so there you go. There, there you go. And it's one thing at a time. Um, I don't know. I've just seen, I don't have a research study, but I've seen some great success with that incremental, you know, give and take approach. One thing at a time. And that's literally what it is. And it's so simple and like, so cliche, like one day at a time, one thing at a time, but it's so real though. Like, yeah. Yeah. You said you talked with, um, you said you talked with your friends and your, you know, your peers and your colleagues that are new and things like that. Um, you've shared a lot about your experience with this. Are you hearing it from other people too? Like are there similarities to what their burnout has felt like or are there key differences? I'm not hearing any differences. I hear very similar things or, things that I've experienced before and they're experiencing now or vice versa. Um, but it's nice because I'm so open about, you know, what I do. Everyone knows that I'm a therapist. And if I have to be vocal about, you know, setting boundaries, like, look, I can't talk today because I just, you know, had a really rough day or like, I don't have the the mental energy to talk about these things my friends and family will understand. And I think that's important. And yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I agree for sure. Are there any um, commonalities or, or sort of like patterns in terms of people who may be sitting here listening, going like, I, I don't know, am I burnout? Am I not? Am I just having a bad day? Like, are there any kind of warning signs that you would encourage people to look for? I guess if it's, if, if you're experiencing these symptoms or the feelings or whatever it is that you're going through for a long period of time, I would maybe take a look at like what changes you could make. I couldn't put a timeline on it. I couldn't say a week. I couldn't give a month because we're all different. Obviously feeling something different or recognizing something different might be, might be okay to take a look at what that could be. So for you, it's a time factor. Like if it, if it hangs in there, like a bad day is one thing, but if you're feeling that bad day, you know, for three weeks. Yes. And a lot of times other people around me can recognize that I'm not the same or I'm acting different or, you know, I've had conversations with my sister. Like there are some days where she doesn't know what she can do to help me. And like some days there's nothing anyone can do. I just have to, I have to ride it out. I have to, you know, sometimes take this on myself. But that speaks to the value of a, a good support system and a support network. I think one of the things, kind of the hidden costs of COVID is it took a lot of people's communities away, right? So, I mean, there's no, at least, to, I mean, I'm sure they're popping up again, but there's no big conferences that we go to. There's no, you know, quarterly local helpers meeting. There's no, the monthly lunch and learn. And, um, you know, there's some stuff that we're doing at a new to bring that back and reconnect. But I think there's a real loss 
to losing your community. You know, uh, we're just not meant to exist in isolation like that for very long. And and from a help the helpers sort of perspective, I mean, just that that opportunity to go to a three day learning event and then the meeting after the meeting, as they say, you know, you go to the, the hour and a half and you, you know, you grab a drink or you grab lunch, you talk with colleagues for an hour and, and connect that way and then build your network. And, um, it's just hard to do that via text and you know, via Slack. And, you know, I'm not feeling it today and here comes the flood of emojis and you're like, okay, I feel exactly the same. Like, that's great. <laughs> that wasn't what I was really looking for. Yeah, co-sign each other's bullshit all the time. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, you know, it's sort of like, oh, you know, me too. I just that human connection. So I think the rebuilding the community is, is the big deal. So, all right, good. So, um, you know, future wise, I mean, you're, you're kind of in the middle of it, right? So what do you, what do you project for yourself? Like, do you have, do you have a plan or what do you, what do you think the future holds for Brittany Eliason and her, her therapeutic career and her personal experience of being a therapist? Are you optimistic or are you, what do you think? Um, I am, um, I'm slowly starting to, you know, open my eyes again and having that clarity of what I can do, what my options are, because I was in that state of mind of, nothing's going to change. It's going to be like this for the whole time. And I'm just so tired of being tired and blah, blah, blah. And I'm slowly starting to see what my opportunities are and I'm starting to like these opportunities and who knows, maybe I will stay a therapist. Maybe I'll continue to be a therapist by day and a ghost center by night. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so talk about that a little bit too. Cause I mean, I, I don't want to totally divert, but you mentioned the ghost center thing a couple of times. So not everybody knows that you want to share some of that. Uh, yeah. So I, fun fact about Brittany, um, I am a paranormal investigator. You want to share some more? What does that mean? <laughs> I don't think that's one of those things that speaks for itself. I think you have to unpack know, that a little it's just, bit. <laughs> it's, just, I can, it's either like you, you got me, like I will talk about this forever or you're going to get boring of me. But what does a paranormal investigator do? What do you, what does that mean to you? What do you do? So basically I'm a ghost hunter. Um, I like using paranormal investigator cause it's more like fancier, but it's quote unquote, I'm a ghost hunter. Um, I have the equipment I go into, you know, um, allegedly haunted locations or there's activity here, there's activity there. Um, me and my best friend do it together. Um, we don't live together anymore. So we're going to be doing a lot of solo stuff, but we, we go to the asylums, we go to the cemeteries. We want to find the unknown. We want that experience of, yeah, we saw that or yeah, we felt that or yeah, we found this. Do we see any um, any any theme there? Because you said one of the hardest things for you to deal with as a therapist is is death and loss of a client. And then one of your things you like to do with your time is paranormal investigations. I don't know. It feels like that's in the same ballpark. Are those? I know. And you wanna you wanna hear something funny? One of my biggest fears is death. Like other people dying too. Like it's death is a weird concept in my life, and I take death very we oddly. To, like for example, and this is kind of off topic, not off topic. So I, so for example, um, I don't know if you know who takeoff is. He was the rapper that was shot in Houston. I, I don't, I couldn't tell you, but I took his death very poorly. Rest in peace. Takeoff. Yeah. RIP takeoff. Like I'm not even like, I've been listening to the Migos all. I love the Migos. Almost, 
it's shout out Migos and like I said, RIP takeoff. But like for some reason, like I just I I'm still like I can talk about it. I can talk about that too. But death is just a weird thing around me, and I don't know why. So that's a really good question, Jason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I that was going to follow up with your same question again. You say I don't know why. Is there any reason for that? Have you lost people personally, or it just traumatic experiences in the field? I mean, what do you think feeds that? I don't. I'm not 100% sure. It could be many things. Like I, I have lost, you know, close people to me. Um, it's been a while since I've lost somebody. Um, but I've experienced death before I've experienced a near death. I've, I've had a near death experience. Um, and I talk to the dead. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Did that, I mean, in all seriousness, cause sometimes, you know, it can be kind of funny, but like, was your near death experience connected to your ability and or interest in communicating with the dead? Or, I mean, are those related? No, not at all. Um, it was kind of like a quarter life crisis thing. Like I, it was on an airplane, the, the, um, engine caught on fire. It's a whole ordeal. Um, but after that, like death was, just something that that thought whether it was me whether it was someone else what where do we go like those experiences have a real ability to take something in the future and make it very present for you right it's not something to worry about someday it's something to think about today yeah and um, I mean, not to go back to him, but like take off, like I talked to my sister about it and I was just like, I don't understand like why I'm taking it so hard. Like I just was invested and she was just like, well, this fear of dying young and he died young. He was my age and I, I don't know. It made it real. Yeah. It made it real. Is there uh, is there anywhere we can, can see your work, uh, paranormal investigation wise? I mean, you want to, you want to drop some of that or is it not ready? Yeah, sure. Um, so mm, I have a TikTok and a, uh, Instagram for my paranormal pages. Um, both are Brittany paranormal for I- Instagram and TikTok, and that's my paranormal content. Um, and then I suggest like finding some of my videos and going to Trinity's too, cause she has a whole bunch and that's my best friend. She has a bunch of us, um, doing our investigations too, but. You want to spell Brittany since there's like 12 ways to do it? B-R-I-T-T-N-Y. Okay. See, I would have put an A in there. So it's good you did that. So Brittany Paranormal and yeah. TikTok and Instagram. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. I, I've seen some. It's really good. I, I have some insider knowledge to it. So it's good. All right. Well, we'll, we'll closing thought to kind of bring it back around. So, um, you know, we talked earlier about becoming the person you wish you had in your life, you know, when, when you were young or when you were struggling. So be that person, let's become that person. So if somebody is in the midst of burnout or if somebody is feeling that or thinks they're feeling that, what would you, what would you want to say to that person? What is kind of your like takeaway message, your walkaway message? I mean, I know that you're, you're feeling it and you're experiencing it, but if you want to connect to others, like what is that voice that you would want to hear? What is that thing that you think you need to hear that you might want to share with somebody else who's feeling the same way? Talk about it because I didn't talk about it for a while and I didn't want to recognize it. And like I said before, my pride kind of got in the way of me allowing it to be real. And once I allowed it to be real and put it out into the universe, et cetera, um, it got a lot more easier to talk about and identify what kind of changes I personally can make. And so whoever is listening, um, 
identify what kind of changes you personally can make, whether it's time off or doing something else. I was talking with Jason, like, what else can I do for you, Jason? (laughs) (laughs) What other opportunities do you have, whether it's still in the field, whether it's in the field doing something else, um, explore those options and, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Embrace the change. The big word change. You have to also accept the change and accept the fact that changes need to be made or else you're going to continue to feel like this. And I don't want to sit in my shit anymore. So I've decided to make some changes. No, that's amazing. And I, I don't think there's any situation I've known of that's gotten worse through honest, self-evaluation and honest conversation about what's going on. You know what I mean? So that talk about it and just be real, be real with yourself and then be real with others about what's happening. Uh, you're right. We had a really great conversation before some new ideas. Maybe something will spring out of that. You just don't know what's possible till you open that door and get honest with yourself about it. So exactly. And I've, I've had a, this is the only thing that I can do. This is like that wall. I've hit that wall. I can't go up any higher, but then I'm like, Brittany, that's not true. Like, what are, like, you You can, there are other things you could do if you really wanted to. And I, we are our own barrier. Our, what's the word I'm looking for? Our, we, you know what I mean. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah, no, we, well, the self-limitation is so much stronger than what the world will do in terms of limiting you. You know, it's, it's interesting. And the old, the old adage about like, you know, you're in a room with a locked door, but it's like locked from the inside, you know, and you don't really realize that until you try to attempt that change and try to investigate those barriers. So um, honesty is the key to that. So I think it's great. I appreciate you, Brittany. I appreciate you so much just working with you, having you on the new team. I mean, you are a fabulous therapist. It's interesting to hear you share about this because one of the things that came up earlier is like, well, how can you do this work if you're struggling? I think you've done a great job. I think you've done a great job managing this. I mean, I'm sure your work is not where you want it to be, but um, just a little brag on Brittany. I mean, her client feedback is always incredibly strong and that hasn't changed even during this. So you're doing what you can to keep yourself healthy. You're doing what you can. You said the mask, Carl Jung would be very happy to hear that. You've put that mask on successfully. Um, and, and we're going to continue those conversations. And I think, you know, whatever we can do to support you, of course we will. But uh, more than all that, just thank you for making the time today. Downtime is important. Your personal time is important. So to hear what you're dealing with and to see you still give us some of your time, I just appreciate you so much. So thank you for being thank on. You. Thank you for having me. I, this actually helped me out a lot too, kind of opening up about it and again, making it real. Like this is the first time I've actually like talked so much like back to back about it. So I thank you for listening. Yeah. Hey, beware, beware. You get on the mic with a therapist, you're going to get, you know, there's going to be some introspection and there's going to be some probing and I can't turn it off. So I'm glad to hear you got something out of it. And we'll definitely continue that conversation offline for sure. So, and you can have me back anytime. I had so much fun. Absolutely. Well, there's a, there's a death and dying episode coming that you have to be part of. I mean, I, from hearing you talk about this, this feels like something that would be good for you to contribute to and you might benefit from yourself. So we'll, we'll have you on soon. So maybe we'll film it in Ashtabula or somewhere in Ohio and, you know, see what, uh, see what that, what that would be. Cause well, it, I'll be, 
get a little closer, I can maybe drive, make a little trip to New Hampshire. Oh, nice. Yeah, that'd be good, too. I'd love good. to have you. You, you miss the fall, but, you know, we, the spring is really nice when everything comes alive. So maybe we'll target that. So Okay. Awesome. All right. So thank you, Brittany. And thank you for all of you watching and listening at home. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap at this point. But I do want to say, you know, normally we have kind of an ask for services at this point where we let people know, like, hey, if you're struggling and you need mental health services or someone you loved and, you know, needs therapy to give us a call, um, you can always reach us, A-N-E-W-B-H.com. Um, they also help now uh, at anewbh.com. But given the topic today, I think it's important to speak directly to other providers. And we talk about that help the helpers mentality. If you are a therapist um, you know, or know somebody who works in a therapeutic or human services or any helping context whatsoever, um, Anu would be honored to help. Uh, reach out to us. Uh, it's, a, it's a weird thing. I think as a therapist, I haven't uh, sought therapy myself since my graduate studies. I mean, we definitely went through therapy as part of that. So I'm thinking now personally about some of this stuff. And but you know, push through that stigma. You know, uh, if you are somebody who is a helper, um, realize that you're going to need help from time to time as well. And Anu would be honored uh, to be part of that process. And as always, if we're not the answer, we can certainly help connect you to the right answer for you. So uh, with that, we will close. Producer Ian, thank you again for today. Um, you can find us. I mean, what helping back is what we're looking for for all of our stuff. Uh, Helpingback at gmail.com. You can find us on all the major social networks and, and YouTube and things like that. So um, again, thank you to Brittany. Thank you for Ian. Uh, and thank you watching home. So until next time, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Thanks so much.